Hello and welcome to my podcast, How I Teach Golf. My name's Duncan Walger and I hope you enjoy the show. Another show, I'm looking forward to speaking to James Skelton. James, how are you? I'm good, Duncan. How are you? Very, very well. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Good. It's, um, oh, it's a long time since we did an aim point session. It's, um, it's been a few years, hasn't it? I think uh, I've got memories of walking around in the snow with me, you and Jamie Donaldson and uh, some of the Essex County squad. Yeah, I think that might have been 2012. It must have been the winter of... No, it would have been before then, I think, because I left, I left Braintree Golf Club in the summer of 2011. So uh, I'm guessing... 11. 2000 and maybe 2010. 10? Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so how did you get to that point? Well, how did you get into golf? Um, yeah. Where did you play your junior golf? And how did you end up at the facility you are now? The story. Um, yeah. Well, I think after listening to a lot of the other guys that you've had on the show, probably a sort of similar similar scenario that, that Dad played. Um, he's like an average to half-decent player. Okay. Um, I used to go with him and sort of tag along when I was maybe 10, 11, but nothing really major, just sort of hit a ball and, you know, went and caddied, played a lot of other sport, played a lot of cricket from uh, sort of primary school level up until secondary school. And then sort of got to the point where I was like, I'm going to give golf a go. I'm going to see Mm -hmm. how that sort of works out. So had a lesson at the club that dad had sort of joined, which was Rutamith Golf Club off, off the pro. And he pretty much said, it's looking okay. I think you just need to start playing a lot. So so that's what I did. I started playing quite a bit. I was probably about oh, 12 then. Okay. And just fell in love with the game. So got reasonably good, reasonably quickly, as you know, everyone else has said. It was mum would drop me down at the club at, you know, half seven, eight in the morning, some other days. Yeah. Dad had come in from working at London and drive down and we'd play a few more holes in night and probably get back at about nine, half nine, sort of ten. So <laughs> didn't see a lot of mum in the summer holidays. Uh, so 14 hour, 14 yeah, hour. Many holes day. you could get in, see if you could hit as many balls as possible. You know, hundreds of holes for a pound round the putting green. Um, yeah. You know, the good old days, as they say. So I remember sort of, looking up to a couple of the guys here who uh, who were decent players at the time, phoning one of them up and saying, can I caddy for you in the club championship? Um, mm-hmm. You know, just to try and learn some stuff. And he was like, of course, come down. So I was sort of in awe of this guy who won the club championship, you know, 17 years on the bounce, drove a Porsche, um, you know, back-to-back county champion winner. <laughs> so well, good role yeah. model. Um and sort of fast forward a year to when I was 14 and I'd managed to get down to, to 12 and was playing in the club championship. And I led it after 18 holes. Brilliant. <laughs> Which was a bit of a bizarre situation to be in. Um, didn't even have a driver in the bag. Was playing with, you know, probably a second-hand set of golf clubs at the time. Um, yeah. Yeah, which that sort of spurred me on even more. So that was good experience. And yeah. Were you you in the final group? Were you in the final group with the guy who you caddied for the year before? I was, and he made sure that I was in that group because he (laughs) he didn't want me anywhere else. Brilliant. Um, 
So it was it was great. Yeah, so he's now a very good friend. Um, and yeah, went on, got down to probably not the lowest sort of handicap, probably got down to maybe two. Probably yep. the lowest I got to. Um, you know, maybe a tough, I'll probably blame the course, quite a tough course to get the handicap down on. Um, played county juniors and, and Kent schools and county seconds, few county matches and Colts. Um, but I think probably by the time I was maybe 16, 17, realised that, you know, this is going to be hard to fulfil a dream of playing on tour like we all dream of. Um, mm mm-hmm. And I was always very interested in the instruction side, even back then. And finished school, had to make a decision what to do. So I sort of postponed doing the PGA because I went to university and did a physical education and sport degree for three years. Okay. uh, Which was great. So spent some more money, got more in debt, and then finished that and decided that it was time to do the PGA. Yeah. Uh, finished up that and I was probably quite lucky when I did PGA as uh, I worked at well the okay I don't think it's World of Golf anymore but obviously was the World of Golf at Sig Cup yes and so I did my PGA training there I was very lucky in the fact that probably almost the end of year one there was a position to teach pretty much full time so Mm. I spent most of my time doing doing coaching through my PGA training, which was great because what I wanted to do and didn't have to spend loads and loads of time in, in a shop um, or under under a, a, a head pro at a club. So, yeah, I was quite fortunate there. Um, and were you, doing the, were you doing like what I did here at uh, World of Golf London when I first came here? Were you doing lots of the beginners groups and all that sort I of did, stuff? Or I what was mixture. Of, you know, yep. the bronze course as it was then. And I did some senior roll-ups and individuals. It, uh, you know, as these things do, businesses changed hands. They introduced Adventure Golf, um, which is obviously a big business for them now. I know it's big over at your place. Yeah. Um, I ended up sort of doing a, you know, not that I didn't sort of enjoy seeing kids getting involved in golf, but I got a lot of kids' parties on the Adventure Golf, which... Uh-huh. It was fun, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And in the end, sort of, I, I got approached by my my old club where I was doing some some junior coaching for free anyway, with a junior section. And they sort of said, "Look, we're thinking of making some change. Would you be interested in taking on the head pro role?" So I sort of wound round full circle and ended up taking on the head pro role of the club that I grew up at, Brilliant. which is where I still am. So how long ago was that, if you that don't mind me asking? 2000, January the 1st, 2011, I started. Brilliant. So, so you've been there seven and a half years as head yeah, pro so now? Yeah, I've done eight, almost eight years, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. And then uh, career-wise with regards to coaching, because obviously doing the bronze uh, stuff and uh, senior roll-up, you're pretty much straight into the trenches, as it were, with regards to you know, people wanting quick fixes to their uh, to their um, to their golf swing. Um, but I know that you went you you went away and uh, kind of furthered your development by by studying some other methods, models, systems, whatever you want to call it. So, talk a bit about that, if you yeah, will. Yeah, absolutely, Dunk. It was um, 
yeah, there's been quite a lot I've tried to do. I've always enjoyed learning and tried to sort of get as much information as, you know, I possibly can, similar to yourself. You know, you've got to put yourself out there and try and seek out the info. I was very fortunate that um, I had a very good mentor. He probably won't like me saying this, as I know he's a very good friend who lives upstairs from you. Um, <laughs> Ian Clark was a massive, massive help in my sort of career. Um, I owe him a lot. He sort of set me on the path and gave me some advice early doors. So I went and did the golfing machine sort of GSEB program while I was still carrying out the PGA exam, um, which was great. There was a lot of good information there. It was a real good learning sort of experience and to get some good information on the golf swing. I spent some time with Ian going to some seminars. We went over to see Brian Manzella in Washington. Um, mm -hmm. I went and saw the Stack and Tilt guys, Andy and Mike. Um, yeah, so th there was an awful lot there. And sort of probably later on, after most of that full swing stuff, I uh, came across Jamie Donaldson, who I'd spoken to on sort of social media. And I think the first time we met was probably at Stack and Tilt Day that James Ridgard had maybe organised at the Bedford Club. Yeah, it was quite funny, sort of seeing putting faces to people that you spoke to online, but you know, paths had never crossed. And I know Jamie's been on the show and talked about it. So I attended a clinic, Aimpoint Clinic. John Graham was running. Um, oh, was that a that place? Was uh, yeah. And there was quite a few pros there. The clinic is, I suppose, unrecognisable to what it is today. And um, that yeah, was the first yeah. introduction, and I was like, "This is amazing." I love it. I want to be involved. So I think shortly after Jamie was setting stuff up with Mark Sweeney and had him over, I sort of said, look, I want to be part of it. Love to be part of it. Um, went and shadowed a lot. Uh, you know, went up to Scotland with Jamie, did counter training with Jamie um, and eventually got certified to coach Aimpoint, which, which I love coaching. Probably my favourite thing to coach. Mm-hmm. So, would, how many how many days would you say that you coach Aimpoint now? Because I, I presume you use it in your everyday coaching when you're back at I the do. club. I try and mix it in. Um, I try and get in at least two clinics a month, and then mm -hmm. it's obviously mixed in with some individual stuff. It's one of those things that you know people sort of still see as new. You know, there's obviously a lot of talk with Dustin Johnson now, Justin Rose using it. So, last couple of world number ones. Mm -hmm. But, you know, golf's a very slow-turning ship, so information to the masses is sometimes a little bit delayed. I think probably this year, I think going forward next year, there'll be a lot more people getting involved in it, um, and I'm hoping to do sort of a lot more. Excellent. So would you say at your, at your facility, so if, uh, it's twofold, this question, would you... Would you do more putting lessons or are you still doing lots of full swing lessons? What's a typical day or a typical week for uh, you? It varies because I've got so many other things within the role of, of head pro. Um, yeah. Yeah, for good or for bad. So I, I think it's probably a mixture. I still think majority of golfers want full swing. Uh, I think, it. you know, there's been a lot of stuff I've looked into recently with uh, lowest score wins, with sort of strategy and where people can develop their game the best. I think, yeah. 
you know, for most people, obviously, the, the fun element to them is obviously hitting the ball better and hitting it a long way. Um, and that's going to be a quick way to get one, you know, for long-term development, definitely the way forward. I think people maybe need to be honest with themselves and sort of say, well, how much time have I got to practice? Can I make these changes? Am I better working on my putting, my green reading, my short game, my chipping to shave strokes off if I'm not going to be able to commit to a long-term sort of practice or change? So would you, um, so I presume, you know, I've been a head, as you know, I've been a head yeah, professional myself. So <laughs> how, uh, how does your week, kind of divvy up with you know potential hours that you have for coaching how many hours would you say you have so, per week not not enough not, not not as many as i would like so typically yeah. it would be sort of a tuesday afternoon mm-hmm. um anytime on a thursday and usually like a saturday morning and we're, which are obviously not not loads of time so we try and get people in um yeah. but yeah obviously other things have to be done so, yeah, and do you offer do you offer like coaching programs, or are you very much um, it's it's kind of pay as you go, one at a time, that type of thing? What's do you do you use like coach uh, coach now or anything like that with your longer term students? I, I, yeah, or? so I think for me, I mean, definitely in the last eighteen months, I've really tried to get students to understand that you know the guy who comes for a lesson and then you don't see him for 12 months, that not a lot's going to change. Um, you know, to expect to get better doing that is, it's a bit of a no hope. You might be able to fix him quickly, but if they do want to develop, I'm pretty honest with them and, you know, tell them if this is what you want to do, if you want to get better, you really need to be committed to it. Uh, otherwise it won't happen. So I, I like to work with people on, you know, I feel like a six-month, 12-month programs, um, other stuff sort of mixed in between. I've started to offer people more specific lessons. So the brochure that I've I've got, um, you know, telling people you can have a chipping lesson, you can have a bunker lesson, you can have a lesson on Sam Lab, you can have a lesson on Skytrack, you can do driver playing lessons. Because a lot of people just go, oh, I need to come for a lesson. But mm-hmm. then maybe asking the question of on what what where is your weak part where do you feel you need to develop so were you then as part of like um so an initial assessment as it were would you sometimes go to the range or go to the putting green or would you go out on the course and see what they're doing first of all i'd look at the range first i'd maybe sit down with them have a coffee chat through where they feel they you know their problems are listen to what they're saying and ask them, where do you want to be? What What's your goal? I think there's, you know, far too little student or golfers set themselves a goal of where they want to be in maybe 12 months' time. And mm. I think if you've, you know, if you've written that down on paper, if that is in your mind, it's written on your phone, this is what I want to do, then you start to build around it. Just sort of saying, I'm going to go and have a golf lesson and I hope I get better is, yeah, it's tough. So I think if you've got that goal down and then you can build from it, can't you? If you know someone wants to, right, I want to hit the ball 20 yards further with my driver, that's my goal. Then you can be far more specific with what you're doing with them. Uh, Get some measurements, get some data, get them on the course and keep an eye on them. I think having them on the course is great. That's obviously the luxury I've got here is I've got a golf course to see how people are developing. 
Yeah, and you, almost week in, week out as well. If they're members, you're seeing what scores they're Absolutely, getting in the yeah. in the Staplefords and everything. And we else. could, you know, if it's a late afternoon, I, you know, I've got a guy in for an hour on a long term program. I'll usually save, you know, twenty minutes at the end and be like, "Come on, let's get out. Let's see if you can recreate it." I take yeah. it, you know, how it is taking stuff from range or practice ground to the golf course and the first tee and the swindle on a Saturday is a difficult thing to do. Yeah, it, the transition from range to, to course it can sometimes be a little tricky. Um, you know, working at a driving range, some might say we're at an even bigger disadvantage, and that's where, for me, Top Tracer comes into the, Absolutely, you know, yeah. it helps us massively. Game changer. Or we can do a mid-combine or a performance centre test on Trackman, anything like that we can do to, like you said, to help bridge the gap between driving range or practice ground and the courses is massive it is it's tough toughest thing so um what about custom fitting because i heard you mention sky track so I, do you do we've within your role as head pro i presume is it your shop or the club it, shop it is my shop um i've done custom fitting in the past i like custom fitting having yeah. the facility to do it now i think is key so for me having a guy who's about to drop a grand on a set of golf clubs and not having, you know, a private indoor or a covered area on a range is it becomes difficult. You know, back mm-hmm. to real old school custom fitting, which some people are fine with, but I think majority of people now they want the tech, don't they? They want the data. Yeah. Um, they want the choice. And as a small retailer, it is difficult to do. So majority of the time, I will tell, you know, I'll be honest with them, and I'll get them booked in at. You know, usually the Callaway Centre down the road from you, who's the yeah. best place nearest. Um, they can have a great day out indoors. You know, two hundred grand's worth of equipment surrounding them. Track man, yeah. it's great. Yeah, and it's it's the same if you know people who are into Titleist or uh, they can go up to to Cambridge or um, St Ives and yeah. you know PXG yeah. down at Sunningdale Heath. So there's lots and of lots of places they can go. You know, so well. Um, I know you've had Alan Fletcher on, a, a, you know, a few weeks back, and I know those guys yeah. do a really good job with the fitting at Girton mm. um, in the studio. They've got a lot of stuff. So if you can give, I think if you can do it in a big way, I think it's great. Trying to do it on a small scale is is tough. Yeah, that's fair. So you've, um, so would you say that you're very much influenced through your golfing machine, your stack and tilt, and I heard Brian Manzella mentioned, and obviously Ian. Is there any? Is there anyone else, with regards to full swing, that has that has influenced you or mentored you in any way? I think I've, I'm probably the same as you. I've probably got a golf book library that would fill up most rooms. It's um, sort of huge, and I've tried to pull yeah as much information as possible. I mean, when I was sort of starting out, and I say starting out, still now, but you know, John Jacobs, as we all, I'm sure of you know, read his material and listened to what that man had to say. Yeah. See what he was doing. I was fortunate enough that I think Ian organised actually a, a day with John Jacobs at, at Sig Cup, um, which was amazing to have him down for for the day, given a seminar and, and all his little pearls of wisdom. And fortunately, <laughs> he needed a lift home back to the New Forest because he wasn't driving then. So right. I offered to drive him. From Sig Cup to the New Forest. Perfect. Can't turn that down, really, can you? No. 
I bet you wish. I bet you wish you could have recorded the whole I, conversation all the way. Sort home. of bad. Obviously, he's just done a full day's work, and he's got me and a good friend of mine in the back seat, just badgering him with questions. Um, yeah. And yeah, he dropped him back off. He invited us in for a cup of tea. Found that very surreal. Sat in his kitchen talking golf. Um, so yeah, that's a moment that will sort of stay in the memory book. Um, yeah. But yeah, all of John Jacobs' stuff, a lot of his his material. Um, you know, there's so much good stuff out there, isn't there, to seek out. The guy who used to, or Gent who used to coach me in the county squad, Jules Will, who's off the right mm-hmm. rider cupper, um, played in Masters and Opens. You know, he, I remember having lessons off of him and trying to take in that information. And I've got a copy of his book somewhere, which there wasn't many printed, but, you know, looking through that, it's, uh, it's amazing how relevant it is today with a lot of the stuff going on. Yeah. But, Again, it's amazing the, the the and this is one of the reasons why I started the podcast as 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 you hear it um, and that, that you've heard it is that I I I kind of wanted people to come on the show that not necessarily what I would call household names yet, yep. um, because there's so much good coaching out there. There's so much good information, and like you said, you've got a book there that hardly any copies would have made, and yet you read it and you just go. I've read that somewhere else or I've seen that somewhere Absolutely. else and it was very relevant to what's going on now. It's amazing. Absolutely. Isn't it? And I think to, I think it's maybe naive of coaches. If you're totally dismissive, dismissive off the bat. Um, so I say to it, you know, investigate, you know, go and see what it's about. I remember when stack and tilt sort of first, you know, come out, I'd done the golfing machine, obviously, you know, it wasn't everyone's cup of tea. People sort of said, Oh, mm-hmm. I don't know about that. Found a book card to get their head around, but, was great learning. Um, I remember when the Stack and Tilt article come out, speaking to a, a guy who was a pro at the range, and you know it was your typical. I was like, "What do you think of this?" And he was like, "Well, it's just a reverse pivot, isn't it?" Like, <laughs> okay. I was like, "Well, maybe I'll go and research it." So, yeah, obviously went and did the day with with Andy, and then went again. And when Mike was over, and I've probably seen Andy, you know, half a dozen times or so. You know, treated my dad to a lesson with him just as a bit of an experience and oh, a very nice guys very generous with his information you know i feel a lot of the guys are obviously i know you're a big plain truth guy jim hardy's you know your man isn't he and yeah you know, all those guys i think if you seek them out and you show interest um yeah they're, they're great they want you know a lot of these people want to share stuff and, and get their message out there and i think it's just down to us as coaches to you know, pick out the bits that you want, leave the bits that maybe you don't want. That's, but yeah, investigate it. Very good. And you would you are you still currently buying uh, books and uh, listening to other podcasts? <laughs> what's your what's your flavour of the month at the moment? Flavour of the month? What well, other than yours? Oh, uh, oh well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, there's there's a couple of things had going on. I, I think the. There's a lot of obviously big science stuff going on um, with 3D, biomechanics and forces, that sort of stuff. So I try and delve into it when I've got, <laughs> I say five minutes, you probably need a few hours to start sort of looking at that. So there was a guy on a podcast a couple of weeks ago that someone else done called, uh, I think Martin Hall mentioned him actually, Tyler Ferrell. Um, yeah, so he was on Jason Sutton's one. He was Sutton's on Jason one. Sutton's one. So that was quite yeah, interesting very good. listening to him. Um, Scott Couch, 
Um, yeah. I couldn't get over to see Scott. I know he's been over a couple of times, but I'd be interested to sort of see him and, and listen to what he has to say. Um, you know, anything with regard to, to putting and, and short game, which is where I, you know, that's sort of my passion is putting and short game. Obviously, anything with aim points, anything new that comes out that Mark Sweeney and Jamie are helping develop, fantastic. Um, James Seekman stuff, I really like. And mm-hmm. I've worked quite closely with his sort of right hand man of Europe and Asia, if you will, which is his name's Matthew Tipper. So, yeah, no, Matthew, yeah, yeah. So Matt's yeah. a really good guy. We've done some short game tour schools um, here. We're going to do another one next month. Everyone seemed to enjoy that. They they were great days. Um, and how would someone, if someone's listening to his podcast, how could they get on that? Or is it full? Uh, it's not full. We're, it, the date is literally about to go in. So they can even contact okay. me, contact Matthew. Um, we'll plaster it over social media at some point in the next few days. Um, okay. But it was just nice. So we'd take people through finesse chipping to begin with. So around the greens and we'd do like a, there may be five or six people on it. Um, so we do finesse shots, 30 yards and in, maybe closer. Give them a procedure, give them drills, have a little look at them individually. Then we'd move on to distance wedges after about an hour. So we maybe go do sort of an hour down there. Then we do an hour on bunker play uh, and some trouble shots. And we'd finish off with, and now we're doing some Aimpoint Express um, level one, which is inside six feet. So it's a there's quite a lot to take in, but I think people really enjoyed it. They like the environment with other people doing it with them. It's uh, yeah, a lovely thing to coach. Yeah, and that's what that's a that's a one day experience with yourself yep. and Matthew. Yeah, little half day. So I think we gave it about five hours. So probably about sleep getting backwards and forwards and having a cup of coffee afterwards and reviewing anything that people want to know. They get given a um, few issues them with like a tour book. So yeah, players would get that he would work with everything. And we obviously offer anyone who wants to upload a swing and send it over and check afterwards is Oh, are you there, James? Just lost you for a second. I'm still here. Yeah. Are you there? I am. I've got you back. So uh, just just repeat the tour book. What happens with the tour yeah, book? Yes, so, use it. It's um, you know, watch treatment together, and you know, just it's lovely blue book through everything that you would do on the day. So. Um, you know that topic. You know how the kinetic sequence of a of a short game finesse shot is going to differ from a pitch and a full, you know, driver or seven iron swing. A bit about mm-hmm. that. Got a bit there. Um, yeah. Grids and distance wedge guides. He's on bungalow. So basically, everything that we cover on the day um, it is in there. So it's a great day. It's really good good environment excellent so you've you've currently still got the shop um you obviously can teach a certain amount of time um you obviously 
get, gaining or developing yourself, which is fantastic. You've set up uh, your little network of other coaches that you work with as well. Um, bit of mentoring here and there, but a lot of personal development, which is great. Um, do you find there's any, what's, what's your take on myths or misconceptions with regards to teaching golf or coaching golf? Oh, man, you're opening a can of worms, aren't you? Yeah, we just <laughs> just scrape the surface. Um, where do you start? Where do you want to start? Short game, putting? Let's go, let's go putting for yourself. So, oh, so many myths that I've been fortunate enough to work with Jamie, he's um, a mentor and, you know, the stuff that I've learned from him and from Mark and is amazing. I think I was summarising mistakes that people make when they putt. Um, apex putting, people who use the apex to try and generate their line, it doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. You you will always underread it. So if you're if you're using apex putting and you're listening to this, stop <laughs> because, <laughs> because it, it ain't working. Uh, plum bobbing is like my pet hate. Um, which we I'm it I think yeah it it might be an unpopular statement but I I don't it doesn't work. No, I can still remember, James, when I was an assistant pro at Moor Park and I was, we were on the putting green, which is at the back of the clubhouse at, at Moor Park. And Lawrence, Lawrence, my boss, Lawrence Farmer, was giving a, a clinic of, of some sort. And he said, I think it's about 95, maybe yeah. 96, that he tried to show plum bobbing. And he basically turned around and went, it doesn't yeah. work. He said, I have no idea what, he said, I wish I could find someone who could tell me how it works because I do not know. Yeah, well, it it doesn't. There you go. That's the. I've okay. even had I had a guy who came to an Aimpoint clinic, and we were going through routine. So we're about you know we're probably you know twenty minutes into the clinic or so, and he's starting to make some re. And I see him start plumb bobbing, and I'm like, "Why do you do that? What what are you doing with your plumb bobbing?" He turned to me and went, "I don't know." And yep. I just laughed and I was like, you're doing something just because maybe someone else has done it and you think that's part of your routine. Um, but yeah, so plum bobbing, I'm not a fan with. Um, you know, all the myths, I think Jamie, are probably, you know, repeating Jamie, you know, the balls break away from the clubhouse. The balls can yeah. the creek, you know. Cities are, you know, magnetised to take golf balls to them and all of this <laughs> here. Probably ones that I think one of the more common ones is that people, and I had a guy say it to me a couple of weeks ago, is obviously, oh, well, I've hit the putt and it's, uh, I've got to watch it as it goes past the hole um, because then that's going to tell me where the break is on the way back. And I'm sort of shaking my head and he's going, no. I was like, no. He was like, well, how does that not work? And I'm sort of, you know, trying to explain that unless you cross over, uh, you know, listeners might not be able to sort of get this in the air, but if you don't cross over the zero line of, of that putt where it's straight, if you're hitting a right-to-left putt and it goes past the hole but doesn't cross that zero line, guess what? Your putt coming back to right-to-left as well. Yeah, that's a, yeah I, that took me a bit of time to understand. And, Jamie, I think Jamie had to, yeah. I think, three attempts to get it through my thick skull. Get it into the head. So, 
yeah. little things like that, um, which, uh, you know, yeah. So there, there's loads with putting, you know, get guys who a number of lessons who come through and say, well, I, I know what my problem is. I decelerate the putter. I'm like, well, if you decelerate the putter, you'll be the first person I've taught that does it. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I've very, I, I don't think I've seen anyone decelerate the putter through impact. Um, there might be some timing issues going on and some rotational issues, but I think very few people decelerate. And I think a lot of people want to try and accelerate the putter too much. And if you look at some of the info that's out there and, you know, some of the big data guy, you know, Paul Hurrian's obviously got some great stuff with Quintech. Mm. I think if you measure most of the good putter, who we would consider the good putters on tour, and especially with their speed and their strike, is that the putter pretty much cruises through impact. You know, you don't want to be accelerating it massively. So, no, you don't want that peak of acceleration no, coming so through the I, ball. I usually have guys who think they're decelerating it, coming in for a lesson, and they probably go away with the feel that they're decelerating it more, and it's usually something else. Yeah. Something yeah, totally different yeah. to what they think. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. So I think you covered quite a few myths and misconceptions there and you only scratch the surface, I know. So um turning it a bit towards you, if you could have a dream four ball, fancy <laughs> four ball, you're allowed to include people dead or alive, where would uh A, where would you play it and B wow. who would be in the it's, four ball? Uh... Oh, such a tough question to, I think, probably because I will never get to play it, I'd probably go with Augusta, as I'm sure most people yeah. would. Um, who would I have in it? I think I'd probably, if it was Madrid, I'd probably take my dad. I'd take Jack Nicklaus. Yeah. And, oh, who would we go? It'd probably be a toss-up between Lee Harvey Oswald, so I could ask him if he did shoot JF Kennedy. Or maybe Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> uh, but, that's but Mark Sweeney will like that answer. I think he's, he's one as well. So, <laughs> no, I think anyway, it oh, wouldn't matter. Sure. I think to play with, with Jack and to play with the old man with him, that would be fantastic in itself. So, it wouldn't matter. The other spot would be open. Scarlett Excellent. Can Scarlett can caddy. <laughs> there you go. Um,. So we've done those two. Uh, as your guest of the day, you get to ask question of the day. I think we've, we're hopefully going to get some good feedback with regards to the myths and misconceptions about hopefully asking us to repeat that. And then I can give out your uh, social media handles so they can get in contact with you so you can explain it better than I could. Um, but as your guest of the day, you get to ask question, question of, of the day. day. Who am I asking it to? To both students and coaches? Yes, you can. You can. If you have um, one for each, go for it. Question B. I think probably for. I think one that probably covered both bases is: Do you set yourself goals? For, for both yeah, for goals. That, yes, coaches, for, and, for coaches players. and players, isn't that? So do you set? Do you set yourself goals? And then uh, give out your your social so, media handles, James. Yeah, so Where social media, um, I'm on Facebook, so you can either go personally or we've got the JPS Golf Academy page 
and on Twitter it's uh, at JPS Golf Academy. Um, so they're probably sort of the best two. If anyone wants to email me, it's J Skelton at Golf Pro, uh, J Skelton Golf Pro at hotmail.co.uk. And, and they'll be able to find the details of your experience. Got, you know, and... Well, I'll be posting stuff on there with the stuff I'm doing with Matt, with the short game, with Aimpoint Clinics. Um, I've been working with a guy who is a friend of mine and, and was a member called John Setton. So John is TPI and sort of soft tissue therapist. And we've been running some sort of holistic days called Unbreakable Golfers. So that explores the fitness element. Um, a little bit of sort of neuro patterns. Um, we, we cover all bases in that from sort of technical to, to mind. Um, so all of those will get plastered everywhere. Um, and they're great days, you know, the tour days, the unbreakable golfers day, the aim point clinics. Um, they're all great. Fantastic. James, thanks, thanks ever so much for coming Duncan. on. Um, hopefully when we meet, no, up, I'm going to come up and see you in a couple time. of weeks. You can come up and see me and Mr. Clark and uh, you two can take you through that book again. Excellent. James, thanks ever much for coming on. And I look Cheers, forward Dunk. to speaking with you soon. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.